One thing I forgot to mention, of course, uh, this, this it's this Saturday that we're going to do Saturate 62868, which if you don't know what that is, it's just our effort to take the Jesus film, which has been given to us, and take that around the community and, and give it out along with an invitation to our Easter services. So if you'd like to be involved with that, it really doesn't take any prior knowledge of how to do it. We just take these uh, bags that have a doorknob hanger on it and you take it to the door and put it on the, you know, on the doorknob and that's just about it. And then they'll receive a gift from us and an invitation as well to the, our Easter services and have the gospel presented to them. So if you'd like to do that, it's going to be Saturday at 10 a.m. We'll meet right here to, to start out with, and then we'll divide up into groups. So hope that you guys can make that. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that'll be very effective. The Jesus film, we watched it just a week or so ago here, and uh, it's based on the book of Luke and gives just an excellent presentation of Jesus' life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. And so they will have the gospel by watching a movie that is fun to watch as well. Danger, Will Robinson. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> I'm sure. I thought when I when I thought about this, I thought no one's going to get this. It's too old, and the and the ones who probably are that age and would appreciate it probably didn't watch Lost in Space anyway. But there, during the '60s, there was this show called Lost in Space, and there is actually a new lost in space that you can watch i think on netflix too uh, but there was a show prior to star trek even i think lost in space and it was about a family who uh obviously were lost in space and so this younger boy who was part of this family who was lost in space had a friend and this friend was his robot the robot actually became his friend and uh, the robot would always say to Will Robinson, that was a little boy, danger, Will Robinson, danger. And uh, that's kind of what our lesson is about today. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But I want to review a little bit about what Hebrews is about so far. Because I know not everyone can be here every week. And so try to bring you up to date at least a little bit. But the book of Hebrews, of course, is written to a particular Jewish group, uh, who had heard the gospel, they had heard the gospel, and now they're having a tendency to go back to their old way of life. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, no, you can't do that. For one thing, Jesus is superior to any prophets that you have heard in the past. You have heard these prophets like Moses, like Elijah, like Isaiah, you've heard Jeremiah, Malachi, all of these different prophets. Well, there's one who has come now, Jesus Christ, who is greater and superior to all of them. So you need to listen to what Jesus says and follow and do what he says. And then he also says that uh, Jesus is our creator. Jesus is greater than the mightiest angels. And Jesus is the exact representation of his father. So some, those are some of the things that we have talked about so far and we've not really, I've kind of told you that this book is about people who are wanting to go back and uh, go back to their old ways of living, their old ways of faith. I've kind of told you, but we've not seen that in the scripture. Well, today we will see that in the scripture. Today we will get the first of five different warning message, messages that the author of the book of Hebrews gives to these Jewish listeners. 
And so there's five of them. To be honest, there's been all kind of controversy sur surrounding these five warning passages. And it has to do with something that we hold very dear, and that's eternal, eternal security. You know, many people will use the book of Hebrews to say you can lose your salvation. See, there it is right there. Also, many people will say you can find great proof for the evidence of eternal security in the book of Hebrews. And so we're going to try, we're going to look at these very honestly and uh, look at the differences in interpretation and try to understand why good people on both sides can have such differing opinions. And I can tell you a little bit ahead of time what it involves if you understand that he, the, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is speaking to uh, different audiences, then I think you will understand these warning passages. And what do I mean by different audiences? Well, we know that they're all Hebrews, but what, what comprises this group? Well, within this group, we'll see from the book of Hebrews itself, there are true believers. There are true believers in Jesus Christ whose hearts have really been changed and they are going through persecution and they are suffering for the cause of Christ. But then we'll also see that there are people who have experienced what church is like and being around church, but they've only professed Christ. They, they really have had no heart change and they do not persevere in their faith. And this is something that's very important in the book of Hebrews is that we must persevere in our faith. I, you know me, I've been around six, seven years now. You know I believe in eternal security. But you also know if you've been here or if you've been in Bible studies that I believe that all true Christians, even though there may be times in their life where they wander a little bit, they all will persevere into, in the faith until the end of their life. They will be found at the end of their life believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And so I, that's what I believe is the true teaching about eternal security. In our statement of faith, which I know many of you may are not familiar with or maybe not even read, but it uses the term perseverance of the saints. It doesn't use the eternal security. We persevere in our faith unto the end. We do not go back. And so if you understand that he is speaking to those people as well as to people who have made a profession of Christ, but there's no obedience to Christ in their life, then I think if you understand, then some, this will make sense. It, to be honest, some of these passages are very difficult to understand from either perspective. But we'll do, we'll do the best we can, and I think we'll have uh, great confidence in the end once we go through this. So the message for today is danger, Will Robinson. There is true danger in wanting to go back and not paying close attention to our salvation. So with that little introduction in mind, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of our scripture. It's Hebrews 2 verses one through four, just four simple verses. Actually, there's no simple verses in Hebrews, you'll find out. They're, they're all challenging, but we'll try to make them simple and we'll examine them and try to find the truth that God wants us to get from this. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and read this. 
the author of the book of Hebrews, whom we do not know it is, he says, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the scripture that we have today. We appreciate the fact that you warn us and you tell us when we are headed in the wrong direction and you tell us to flee back toward Christ. Don't go the other direction, but flee toward Christ and ask the question, have I been saved by the blood of Jesus? And when we place our faith and trust and can affirm that, then we have the assurance of our salvation. Help us to understand this scripture and not only understand it, but be motivated by it. Be motivated, motivated in our own lives uh, not to neglect our salvation and to be motivated also to help those who may be drifting. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the scripture um, is there. <laughs> it's got a lot of uh, positive statements. It's got a lot of what some people may call negative statements. But no one can mistake this for being a serious subject, right? This is a serious subject that we must listen to. And basically, the author here is saying, because of what I've told you previously, because Jesus is superior in every way, we must avoid the danger of neglecting salvation and drifting away. In other words, we must be firmly anchored. We must be firmly based upon a foundation of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Anyone remember the movie On, Gold, on Golden Pond? Some, some of you do. Some of the younger generation, probably not. I think it was probably back in the 80s, some, something like that. Back in the 80s. But this was another story about a family who, obviously, they owned property on Golden Pond. And so this was a place where people went to in the summertime. Uh, this particular family had a summer home there. They had a daughter who was raised there with them. The daughter now is probably in her 40s, and she has a boyfriend who is a dentist from the city. He's a city slicker. And so they both come to this pond during the summer to visit her parents, and they don't have a good relationship, the father and the daughter, a very good relationship at all. And so uh, as part of this story, the dentist comes along with her and is going to spend a few days with them. And he obviously he knows nothing about nature or nothing about boats or nothing about fishing. But he's very much wanting to impress uh, the girl's father. And so there's this one scene where uh, they're out at the dock. A boat has pulled up to the dock. And he just kind of nonchalantly puts his one foot on the dock, but the other foot on the boat. And the boat is not tied up or anything. And so as he is talking to the father, as he is talking to his girlfriend, 
the boat keeps getting further and further and further out. And he keeps talking and he's looking down. And eventually he says, uh, what happens when you get in this situation? And one of the guys says, well, usually about this time I fall into the lake. And sure enough, he fell into the lake. And it's really a humorous story, but it really doesn't reflect the seriousness of this situation, does it? It talks about, you know, the illustration I gave, you know, gives a picture of drifting away. But it really doesn't tell how serious this situation is. Think, think of it a, of a different way. Think of this illustration. There's a ship in the harbor. And this is really what drifting away refers to in the scripture. It refers to a ship that is in the harbor. This ship and its captain and crew have a sense of false security because they're not tied to the dock. They know about the dock. They know they see the dock. They've unloaded cargo on the dock, but they're not tied to the dock. And the harbor is calm, and so the boat is not shifting around very much. It's pretty stable. For a long time, it stays by the dock. Gradually, shifting winds come in and start moving the dock away from the shore ever so slightly. Just really slowly, almost imperceptibly, it begins to move away from the dock. The boat leaves the harbor and gets into choppy water now. Now it's in choppy water. The choppy water, instead of warning the crew, lulls the crew to sleep. A sudden storm blows up, but the crew cannot respond in time. They're just busy getting woke up. The boat is dashed against the rocks, sinks, and all is lost. Then that's the story, the picture that this is giving of people who have heard the truth about Jesus Christ. Maybe they have made some profession of faith, but they are now neglecting their salvation. They're not tied to that anchor. Maybe they never have been tied to that anchor. And you might ask the question, uh, were they saved and then lost? Probably no, probably in this situation, they were never saved at all. They were never anchored to the dock. They were familiar with the dock. They knew the benefits of the dock. They used the dock. They just were never part of the dock. You know, the author of Hebrews is not the only way that writes this way. John the Apostle and many other people in the New Testament write this way about people who have a spurious conversion. In other words, it's only based on emotion, it's based on wrong motives, it doesn't result in true salvation. But listen to what John says. He says this about some false teachers in 1 John. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that not all are of us. So John, he's speaking about his church, which probably was a church at Ephesus at one time. He's talking about people who were within the church and yet they left indicating that they were never truly saved at all. Now everyone who comes to Freedom Baptist Church and ends up leaving, it doesn't mean that they're not saved. But it does mean that there are some who live this kind of life. They have a, a profession of Christ but there's never really any change in her life. Hymenaeus and Alexander are people whom Paul says made a shipwreck of their faith. Notice the language, <laughs> you know, it's very similar to what 
the language that's used about drifting away, a boat drifting away in the book of Hebrews. But they had made a shipwreck of their faith because they had not clung to Jesus Christ. And so here's the warning. You've got your handout. This is the only fill-in that you've got. It says the warning is pay attention to your salvation. Do not neglect the gospel message and so drift away, but embrace it every day. Embrace it every day. There's great joy in embracing this, the gospel every day, right? Do you think about the gospel message every day? <laughs> or Jesus every day and what he's done for you? I think there's great strength in doing that. But he says that we are not to neglect the gospel message and so drift away. And here he gives some reasons in the scripture. Reason number one, judgment under the Old Testament law was strict. He says in verse two, he says, for since the message declared by angels, that's the Old Testament law, proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received just retribution. What does that mean? It just means that people who are under the Old Testament law, they didn't pay attention to it. They neglected it. They were meted out with this, they were meted out with judgment and retribution, right? They received judgment. For instance, those who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? So Moses, through God, God through Moses, delivered the people of Israel from Egypt, delivered them to the promised land. They came up to the edge of the promised land. They sent spies in to make sure that it was okay. Ten of the spies came back and said, no way. These guys are way too big for us. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, it's okay. And because of their disobedience and their lack of faith, they had to wander in the desert for 40 years, right, until that whole generation passed away. And then finally, Joshua was able to lead the people into the promised land. So that's what he's saying here. These people, they neglected God, they neglected the promised land that was given to them. They, they didn't have the faith that allowed them to go into that promised land and they were judged and they were received judgment and retribution for that. So that's the first reason. Reason number two, that rejection of our salvation is sure to be even more severe than what was given in the Old Testament. And here's the logic that the person makes. If angels brought the first message about the law, and there were angels on Mount Sinai when Moses received the law, it's recorded in Deuteronomy, I think, but there were angels that helped deliver that message if you don't pay attention to them and there was judgment and retribution, how can you expect to escape judgment and retribution if the Son of God comes and gives the message and you turn away from that? He says, this salvation is great. Listen, look at what he says. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The salvation we have today is awesome. He has provided everything through Jesus Christ for our salvation and some people just oh that's fine or oh yeah you know I don't want to go to hell I want to go to heaven so yeah I'll pick heaven but there's no choosing of Jesus right 
That's what we are choosing. We're not cho we are, in a sense, choosing eternal life, but it's only eternal life based upon Jesus Christ. He is the eternal life. And so, if they rejected angels and there was ju uh, judgment and, and retribution, how could we escape and think that if Jesus brings the word of salvation, that we would not escape judgment and retribution? It was given to us by the Lord himself. He came personally. God came personally and gave it to, our, gave it to us ourselves. How are we to escape if we neglect that, neglect to respond to it positively? So the Lord himself gave it to us. It was accompanied by miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit and great wonders. And there were these eyewitnesses who testify of it as well. So how does it happen that a person would hear about Christ, maybe even make a profession of being a Christian and yet drift away? So I thought I would write down some things that might be helpful doesn't mean that this is an exhaustive list in any way, but it almost always happens slowly, almost imperceptibly, right? And you know, you know of people who have been in church and who are not here today, and it's not because of physical ailment, it's because they choose not to be here. It's almost slowly. There's hardly, I have hardly ever heard any person say, I'm going to reject Jesus today. You know, it's always slow, gradually, almost imperceptibly. Satan is both patient and crafty, and he knows to take it easy. And he wants us to neglect our salvation. What does it mean to neglect something? Anybody had a new car? <laughs> new boat, we keep with the boat illustration. You get a new boat, you take care of it, you change oil when it's supposed to be changed, you polish it, you clean the trash out of it, you take care of it. Then maybe it becomes a little bit older, maybe next season you're not as interested in it, and you begin to neglect it a little bit. You forget to pressure wash it. You know, it looks a little dirty, grimy, it starts to get a little rust in places. Uh, the engine doesn't run well anymore because you've, you know, neglected to change it from season to season. And eventually it just goes down to where you're afraid to even put it in the water. That's what it means to neglect something. We can neglect relationships as well, right? Yes. And that's what we do when we neglect salvation. We neglect the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. He's willing and ready to meet with us every day. To have a time of fellowship with him. To have a time of rejuvenation reju for us. And yet many times we put it off for other things. And then maybe after a while, we don't even think about having a quiet time at all. But it usually happens gradually. People don't usually just suddenly decide to deny Christ and turn their back on everything that they've been taught. It comes by slowly. Here's some ways that I wrote down that it happens because it affects our witnessing or our sharing of Christ, doesn't it? The drifter believes the lie from Satan that he or she cannot share their faith. 
This, I mean, this, we see this in the very beginning of a person moving away from Christ and neglecting their salvation. They're drifting away. The joy and the power that comes from sharing Christ, they no longer have that because it's no longer a prior priority for them. They've fallen into the lie that Satan tells us that we cannot share our faith. What does the scripture say? The scripture says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The drifter becomes ashamed of the gospel. They're afraid to say anything in front of other people because of the ridicule that they might have. The person who's close to Jesus doesn't care about the ridicule. They might even enjoy the ridicule, <laughs> but not the drifter. The drifter slowly becomes ashamed of the gospel and shares the gospel less and less. The drifter is not really into the word of God any longer. The drifter mistakes preaching and teaching for entertainment. Folks, if you come here to be entertained, you came to the wrong place. I am not here to entertain you. Preaching and teaching are instructions for how to have eternal life and to survive life in this fallen world for the glory of Christ. It's not a means to entertain. But the drifter, if he's not entertained, then he begins to lose interest. Interest in preaching and personal time with God or Bible study. You can see it. You can see it happen. One time they're eager about being in the Word of God. They're looking up questions on their own. They come to the pastor with questions. And then all of a sudden, the pastor's the last person they want to see because he might ask them about their spiritual well-being. But without the Word of God, it says that we are like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, we're susceptible to everything except the gospel. We'll believe anything because we're carried to and fro by winds of doctrine. That's from Ephesians. It's not from Hebrews, but it sounds like Hebrews, right? Rather than running to God in prayer, the drifter goes it alone, depending on self to get them through the day. Prayer life becomes less and less and less. They become self-sufficient, or what they think is self-sufficient, they don't need God, they don't need prayer, they don't need the word, and eventually they don't need the church. The drifter begins to feel out of place at church, makes excuses for not coming to Bible study and morning worship, becomes basically a loner in the church. They become somewhat isolated sometimes. People reach out, but often to no avail because they've built up a hardness in their heart and they feel like people are maybe putting them down by asking them to come back to Bible study or to Sunday school. And then it happens, someone at church offends them. You've seen this pattern before, right? Someone at church offends them, they can't forgive. They have forgotten or maybe they've never really understood the immeasurable forgiveness that God through Christ has for them. You know, when we get to the place where we can't forgive, it's just an indication we don't understand the forgiveness of God and how great our sin is. Because we often, when we can't forgive, we think that sin is so great that it just cannot be forgiven. But 
Jesus and God can save us and forgive us of any sin, right? If we come to them believing in faith. And it's sad because lack of forgiveness indicates that they may not have experienced God's forgiveness of all at all. And they excommunicate themselves from the church in Christ. <laughs> we didn't excommunicate them, but they excommunicate themselves from the church in Christ. And sometimes it's very difficult to get them back in church. Now sometimes people in the church can be uh, less than pleasant sometimes, right? We can, we've made mistakes, right? Yes. We can make mistakes and say the wrong things at the wrong time and offend people. And we, we, if we do that, we need to apologize and ask for forgiveness ourselves. But the drifter, it's very difficult for, for them to see that and to do that. We must not harbor forgiveness unforgiveness in our heart so what do we do <laughs> what do we do well I put one one thing down here is preventive medicine we do not neglect our salvation right 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 here and right now I'd like every, you don't have to say it out loud but say to yourself I will not neglect my salvation I will be thankful for my salvation I will realize that God has not only saved me for heaven but he saved me to become like Jesus Christ and I will work to, toward becoming like Jesus Christ. Amen. And that will keep us from drifting. If our nose is in the Bible, then it's not going to be in other people's business and, it, and we will not neglect our salvation. I think one way to do this is just be thankful every day for what Christ has done for us. Say that out loud to him. Say it, say it in, your, in your quiet time. There's hardly ever a time when I read the scripture where I can't find something to thank God for. <laughs> Even through the book of Isaiah. We've been going through in FBI through the book of Isaiah and it's been, it's been kind of tough. There's verses that are very good like the 53rd chapter. There's verses in between that are really tough to read. But I'm thankful that we have God's word. We examine our lives in light of Scripture to, to determine if we are in the faith. And you might say, is that scriptural? Well, yeah, that's, that's first, 2 Corinthians 13.5. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? You can fail the test. You might say, well, how can I fail the test? Well, here's some things that you can look for. Are you practicing spiritual disciplines in your life? I just mentioned some of those, being in the word, being in prayer, fellowship, and sharing Christ. Are, are you doing those things? And it doesn't mean perfectly, and it doesn't mean that we're saved by doing these works. It just means that if you are really in Christ and you are really saved, these will be more and more evident in your life. Are you producing fruit? I remember Jake preaching on John 15 that we are to bear fruit. Look around. Are you bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? Are you being obedient? The scripture never, ever, anywhere says that 
you can be saved and not be obedient. <laughs> it never says salvation is so free that you cannot, that you don't be obedient to the word of God or to following Christ. It always says that true belief results in obedience. Finally, are you, are you more than more like Christ each and every day? We may not see big improvements every day, but we're on that path to becoming more and more like Christ. The older I get, the older I realize how undeserving I am of <laughs> salvation. It's a, it's a tremendous gift. It's a tremendous act of grace. And by grace, it means we had nothing to do with it, that Christ purchased everything that we need on the cross. So I guess it comes down to it that we need to make an intentional decision not to neglect our salvation and not to drift away. And we need to help ourselves and we need to help others. That's scriptural as well. So I, I don't know I take things differently. If someone came up to me and said, Rob, and I've had people do this, are you struggling in your walk right now? I would appreciate that if someone cared that much. But so many times the drifter resents it as though you're judging them. Let me, this, this, for those of you who know me, this is no surprise. Within the church, we are supposed to judge each other. We are supposed to watch out for each other. And if we are going in the wrong direction, we are accountable to go to that person and say, I see that you may be struggling in this area. Can I be a friend to you and help you? That's what a church is about. When I, when I talk to people about membership, I think a lot of people say, well, is that really biblical? Do I really need to become a member? And the answer is yes. There needs to be a small body of Christians around you to whom you are accountable. That's, that's what I want. That's what I love about Freedom Baptist Church is I think we kind of sort of have that. So we are a true church. If, if we don't have accountability, we're just... We're just the Elks Club or some secular organization where we get together and we feel good about getting together. You know, if we need to be growing in Christ and we, and we do that best when we're accountable to one another. So speak the truth in love. We're going to close in prayer, and our prayer time is just a time to reflect on what's been said from the Word of God, the seriousness of it. The book of Hebrews gives four other warnings, probably more harsh than this one. <laughs> so be prepared for that. But in between, there is such great hope. Jesus is not only superior to the angels as a messenger or superior to the prophets. His sacrifice is superior to the Old Testament sacrifices. His priesthood is more better than the Old Testament priesthood. We have a priest who lives forever, who always intercedes for us. So there is great hope in the book of Hebrews. 
But let's not move past this without considering it. And that's what we'll do during our time of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to speak about this. And I thank you for everyone here today who's listened. And I could tell people were listening intently, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that you care enough about us that for your sons and daughters, you discipline us. You discipline us when we're going the wrong direction and you bring to our attention that this is not good for us. You need to turn and go back and flee toward Christ. And that's the message that we have here today, that we cannot go back to our way, old way of life. There's no salvation for us there. It's only forward that we must go in our relationship with Christ, evermore becoming more and more like him. Help us to be your people. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.